Football Clichés is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Does an 8-0 win really qualify as an 8-goal thriller? What was the first ever Twitter parody account? Who was the first person to ever tweet, stop it, Messi? And why don't we just let things sink in for a moment anymore? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is currently free for 30 days, taking you through to the end of the Premier League season. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. With me to talk about football and Twitter, first of all, Jack Pitbrook, who I worry, Jack, that you're in danger of looking like the sad Matavase to Charlie Eccleshare's Clyde Tilsley if you keep coming on in his stead. Well, I've never thought of it that way before. Well, he, he's very much the national treasure of this of this podcast, but that's not to do you down, of course. You're very welcome. And uh, I feel like this is one of your specialist subjects. Speaking of specialists, we also have Harriet Drudge, the athletic social media guru, live from the Isle of Wight. Yeah, live from the Isle of Wight, using the only dial-up that is left <laughs> on the whole of the island. Last time I went to the Isle of Wight, was for a uh, under-13s Hampshire Cup game, which I lost 13-0. That was a long journey home, back on the ferry from the Isle of Wight. Um, well imagine. On Tuesday night, we witnessed, or many of us witnessed, vicariously, what the BBC are describing as an eight-goal thriller. Jack, would you buy 8-0 as an eight-goal thriller? No, no, I don't think so. You wouldn't describe uh, Germany-Brazil as an eight-goal thriller, would you? What's the balance of goal scoring that, that, that would that would make it such? I don't honestly think I would accept 6-2. I think it has to be 5-3 or 4 all. Oh, interesting. Uh, 6-2 would only be if there was some tension as to who would win and then all, you know the other team ran away with it in the last few minutes. Perhaps. If I was feeling generous, Adam, but I'm afraid you know, you've got to take a stand on these things. 8-0 is a particularly awkward, bittersweet thrashing in, in from my kind of language book... Harriet, because 8 0 um, doesn't have a headline that goes with it because you jump from seventh heaven to cloud nine. So it's very, very problematic scoreline all round. It was also within touching distance of being 10 0, but we were cruelly denied that by one of those pathetic second half performances that you always see. Did it leave a bitter taste in your mouth, 8 0? No, I don't think so. I mean, there are a few rhyming words with eight that you could get into. A, a pithy tweet. Um, Let's hear them. None of them. No, no. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even <laughs> gonna go there. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the usual ones, you know, great and all that kind of malarkey. Mm. Um, those are the ones you kind of got to just 
stuck it up and go with, haven't you? Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the. It's it's not a, it's not a thriller, is it? I mean, uh, all no. of those other words that you can use as well to describe a, a thrashing, thumped, torn apart, stuffed, all of those kind of things. It's but none of those are ever thrillers, really, are they? Pick you up on stuffed there. I feel like I haven't heard stuffed in a football thrashing <laughs> context for a long time. That's quite. That's that feels very nineties. I want to bring back stuffed. Yeah, we got stuffed let's, this afternoon. Let's do it. Mm. I think, um, yeah, I've heard it more more often when we're talking about non-league football. It's just one yeah. of those things. Oh, nah, we, well, we got stuffed. I'm not even going to talk about it. There was obviously a point in that first half, Jack, where the whole thing started to unravel and, and there was a lot of rubbernecking going. And the, the likes of me, who probably wouldn't have paid attention to Hull versus Wigan on a normal afternoon, uh, were suddenly uh, watching every kick. What is it about thrashings that we find so fascinating? I, I, I put it to you, Jack, that that football is, is the perfect sport for this kind of phenomenon because it's a relatively low-scoring thing, but at the same time, you can't you can't win a football match early. You have to go through the entire 90 minutes. So it's, it's basically quite a drawn-out, sadistic affair that I don't think you would get in other sports. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that is why the game did remind me of the 7-1 in the 2014 World Cup, which again had... A, uh, I'm just looking it up now. So the 7-1 had four goals between the 23rd and 29th minute, whereas the game yesterday had, I think, five goals from something like 27 minutes to half time. But it's so unusual to have a flurry of goals for one team in the first half. It does feel slightly like transgressive to have that many goals. And it also yeah. feels like you're kind of prying on someone's personal tragedy. <laughs> and that and that is what makes it so compelling because you're, you're seeing something which is utterly humiliating and unexpected and kind of unstoppable if you're the, the team it's happening to. And you can't stop watching. Like, there is, as you said earlier, there is a kind of rubbernecking quality to it. Like, so the, this Wigan game the other day, like, I was on a train and I haven't, I haven't even seen the goals and I couldn't tell you any of the goal scorers. But what I can say is there was this kind of gleeful thrill just checking my phone. And every time I looked, there was another one. And everyone was messaging about it. Everyone was tweeting about it. And, you know, with all due respect to Hull City and all their fans, I don't mean this as a piss take. It was hilarious. Like, simply being, yeah. <laughs> aware, of this, simply being aware of this happening was hilarious. To an extent, it was, it was a game dripping in a fair amount of context for, for both clubs, given their... Situ- you know, respective situations. But from a from a again from a purely neutral language perspective, uh, I feel like we, it was edging close to kind of cricket score territory, Jack. But my question to you here, given that cricket has started again, what is a cricket score in cricket? Like, what's what is what would you consider to be an absolute thrashing in cricket? Because the mechanics are completely different. Well, yeah, I mean, you, an absolute thrashing. The problem is, is, you know, there's three different winning margins. There's wickets, runs, and buying innings. Um, I actually think when people say cricket score, like a much better way to put this would be a rugby score. But for various reasons, most of which Michael Cox has uh, made clear on Twitter, like people, <laughs> like football people don't like viewing it through the prism of rugby. Like they don't like rugby language. No. But, you know, 8-0 eight, eight is literally a rugby score. 9-0 is certainly a rugby score. Uh, whereas a cricket score, because you know you're dealing with too many numbers at the same time, it doesn't really work. Harriet, I felt like Tuesday Night was a great showcase for a very particular subgenre of official account tweeting, <laughs> which was Hull City having to keep up with the scoreline as this kind of as this kind of thing kind of raced away from them. Do you admire the discipline here? Because and when I'm looking at the the tweet for eight nil here, you've got a nice little chevron here, the scoreline. You've got a fairly fairly sad looking tiger. <laughs> and uh, 
But the respect to keep going with that tweet format all the way up to 8-0, at what point do you think they kind of start to own the joke a little bit? Yeah, it's, I think it's in the moment it's difficult to own the joke because it won't ever feel like one. Uh, and I think when you're covering matches live, you've got that kind of template set out with the Tiger um, and all of that <laughs> kind of ready to, ready to go. So the, the, the scoreline, I think, you know, the more it's piled on and it's getting to 6-7-8 in the scoreline, it's it's not necessarily um, the discipline there that that you have to respect. It's just you know right, we're just going to get this tweet out and sod any any description of it, uh, which I actually I, I respect that just as a as as a tweet in itself. No, fair enough to the point. You you kind of displaying what the fans are feeling or hmm. probably would be feeling. So I think I I respect it when when clubs actually go further, kind of minimalist when it's an absolute <laughs> thrashing. Rather than trying to say, oh, and describe the the goal, you know, when it's gone, the eighth has gone in, trying to describe the opposition's goal. I mean, your fans aren't interested. They, If they were in the ground, if they were allowed in the ground, they'd have left by now anyway, so they wouldn't have yeah. seen it. Listener Ollie Davis says, my biggest hate is, is when clubs use an exclamation mark when alerting their followers that the opposing team have scored. Um, Harriet, presumably there, there's a balance to be found here. You've got you've got to find the right kind of solemn tone to for when the opposition scored their eighth goal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, exclamation marks I'd be getting rid of straight away. And capital letters, if they're saying goal, that's kind of insinuating that you're excited about the goal, but then it's an opposition one. So I think that's almost a form of teasing on Twitter that's not okay. <laughs> Jack, inevitably at halftime, this situation conjured up memories of of Phil Brown offering his little on-pitch team talk for Hull at the Etihad, I think it was. Um which leads us on nicely to the main theme of, of this podcast, which is football on Twitter, and starting specifically with uh, the concept of parody accounts. And you wrote this you wrote this piece uh, a few days ago, The Ballad of Big Sam, A History of Parody Football or Twitter Accounts, where you implied uh, early on that Phil Brown was the kind of genesis of this subgenre of Twitter, that he was the first notable parody account, and that's where it all stemmed from. Well, I don't know if he was, but mm. I I think he was there at the start. So I only know this because I interviewed the creator of The Big Sam, yeah. who started his account, I think, in 2009. And he said that he'd got the idea from Phil Brown, uh, no, as in a, you know, a, an existing <laughs> Phil Brown parody account, <laughs> yeah. which, I, which I vaguely remember. So I was a... Uh, fairly early adopter of Twitter so I started going on it a lot during the 2008-9 season then started tweeting oh, wow, myself okay. in the summer of 2009 mm. um, and I do remember at that point there was a Phil Brown account because Phil Brown was like you know a classic kind of funny football manager of that of that era mm. and that you know pointing at the players at City was part of that I would love to know if there were other accounts around then I couldn't find any like other parody accounts in the sort of 2008 2009 era I was when I was searching around for um, uh, articles about you know funny football parody accounts you must follow I found one on the TalkSport website and it listed the top 10 funniest football accounts you have to follow and one of them was football cliches <laughs> this, is actually from, this is from a few years later I don't know if they knew it was it, I, I mean I don't know would you describe it as a parody account or not I'm not sure no I wouldn't no I wouldn't I mean who am I parodying parodying myself if anything yeah as insulted as i am to have appeared on that list um yeah i have to appreciate the the mainstream appeal um but this isn't about me this isn't about me um the 
There was a very bleak scene at the start of your article, which I'm going to try and paint for the listeners here. You introduce it with this this image of, of the guy who runs Deluded Brendan in a caravan park just south of Scarborough, desperately trying to vo- find a Wi-Fi signal in the in the rain because the draw for the Champions League group stage has been made. Uh, this isn't a particularly romantic image of of the experience of running a uh, of a, running a parody account. Um, is it is it about as glamorous as it looks? But it's not meant to be. Running a parody account is not meant to be a romantic pursuit or even a glamorous one. It's a calling. It's like, I don't know, being the first... It's like, I don't know, being, being the first person to translate the Bible into English. Like, you've just, just got to work and work and work at it day after day uh, in pursuit of your noble goal. And frankly, like, I do have... I mean, I'm being serious here. Like, it, it does take a lot of work. Like, you have to, you have to embody this character and his voice and just tweet the jokes day after day after day it particularly in in timing with with relevant world events like so ryan the author of uh deluder brendan who i spoke to for this story he told me that there were times you know if, if there'd been a big liverpool game or whatever where he knew that he would have to tweet and he would have to you know if he was if he was in the car he would dictate a tweet for his wife to send from wow. his phone and obviously at this particular instance in the caravan park, that was because Celtic had just got a difficult draw in the Champions League group stage 2016-17. Um, he said that, you know, when he went, when Brendan was in Celtic, interest dropped a bit. And some, if they were just playing a game against St Mirren or whoever in the SPFL, then sometimes it wouldn't even be worth tweeting. But for the most part, you do have to, you do have to stay on top of real events. Harriet, from a, from a social media perspective, from a professional's perspective, once again, this takes a hell of a lot of discipline and hard work here because you're growing a brand. Essentially, you're, you're you've you've picked this topic and you're and you're and you're, and you're trying to grow it, similar to to an official kind of branded account, I guess. And also at the same time, you only have this one kind of furrow to plough. It must be incredibly hard work, surely. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the consistency that Jack was talking about there in terms of, <laughs> you know, when something big happens, people are almost expecting a joke from you. And I guess that that in itself must be quite difficult as well to, to hit the right kind of tone on that. I think there's, you know, there's lots of variation amongst all the parody accounts. I think James Mil- Boring Boring Milner was was a favourite of mine, especially yeah. when it was flipped on its head when James Milner actually joined Twitter in March 2018, and his launch <laughs> his launch picture was of him ironing. It's nice to see the two the two Milners living in perfect harmony, though. Um, although uh, Jack, your piece um, included the for me immortal line that Boring Milner declined to be interviewed by the Athletic for this story, uh, which is. <laughs> Which is just a wonderful set of words to be reading at any stage <laughs> of my life. There are, there, I mean, there are some more sort of sinister outliers here. Evil Kagawa, Jack, which is just an overtly offensive account. But yeah, I, I was stunned to see that it's still going. On on May twenty fifth, he simply tweeted, "What is a Dominic Cummings?" This is kind of sort of desperate, desperate attempt to to remain relevant. This is quite sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. Like Ibu Kaga was astonishingly racist. Like mm. it was. I mean, and that was the joke. Like there was no other joke. Like the punchline yeah. was the fact that he's Japanese. And I was I remember being slightly disheartened at the time that lots of people, including you know, like journalists and sort of people who I think should probably know better, would follow the account and uh, or even you know like and retweet it. Because it was awful, but then I do think a lot of a lot of this. I mean, I think this is true now, but certainly in the sort of ten years ago or so, a lot of the, these kind of football banter accounts were 
were very problematic. Like there's an awful lot on them that was either racist or sexist. And the kind of football banter space on Twitter is quite an offensive place a lot of the time. And a lot of the jokes and stuff are deeply, deeply inappropriate and wrong. So it's always been, I mean, f- you know, football banter Twitter has uh, has not really got clean hands on these topics, I'm afraid. Harry, it, it strikes me, uh, on the back of reading Jack's article, it strikes me that, that football parody accounts are quite a tidy microcosm of football Twitter as a whole. Because you have things that are generally accepted to be quite funny and harmless you have aspects of it which are clearly much more unsavory to the point where they're actually genuinely offensive and then you have quite mundane kind of ephemeral things and in this kind of subgenre of, of twitter accounts i take for example the twitter accounts that are quickly set up for inanimate objects that just suddenly become minor sort of newsworthy items various cats at the new camp i believe anfield cats and there was even a twitter account for the cabbage that got thrown at steve bruce when he was aston villa manager as someone who who's a hugely disciplined social media operative there's this kind of idea that this these abandoned accounts just lie around like um decommissioned satellites does that not bother you does it does it not does it not irritate you a little bit this is real estate just being used uh, up oh, by nothing yeah I mean, it does a little bit in terms of i'm yeah, I guess I'm a bit OCD on that kind of thing anyway. Dormant accounts bug me anyway. Not as much as the faceless accounts and that, you know, um, a line from Jack's Jack's article about one of the guys not, not tweeting again because I know at least one reply from some dickhead with no profile picture that will really annoy me, um, <laughs> which is obviously a massive, massive frustration. But I can kind of see why those New Camp Cat and Anfield Cat, then they're not not a thing anymore because yes okay it might be a quick burn oh do you remember when this happened but what else is what other content really are they gonna have on their accounts that's going to make them relevant and i think that's that's where the long-term planning for these people who create the accounts (laughs) doesn't come into it there's no appreciation there that you can't just go viral quickly and easily necessarily and it needs a bit more thought are you saying the creator of the aston villa cabbage account didn't have a sort of spreadsheet (laughs) set up oh, for right. his uh, long-term or medium-term <laughs> planning sad to hear sad to hear. No, they, they just they, you know you go and look at them now they just look like sort of abandoned high street um kind of units um it's generally quite sad to see you know there was a lot of promise at that stage they probably thought i'm onto something here but then sadly an aston villa cabbage only has a certain shelf life i'm interested also jack of course I, i'm interested in how football twitter has kind of shaped the way we talk about football a little bit. Here's a little question for you. On April the 6th, 2010, Barcelona were playing Arsenal in the Champions League. Uh, Messi ran through to dink the ball over Manuel Almunia to complete his hat-trick. And someone tweeted a certain phrase for the very, very first time on Twitter. Can you guess what it may have been? Wow. Um, Give me a second. Let me think. So 2010... Harry, you're allowed to join in here. You're not just exempt because you might be some sort of genius at this sort of thing. Well, that was... um... Actually, that's my birthday, April 6th. Not that I remember that because Incredible. it was my 18th and my 18th birthday. So, so would it be the goat? No. But oh. you're, I, I think you're in a decent, you're in the reasonable ballpark here. It's, it's the same kind of level of discourse, I'd say. But it, it's down a sort of certain more specific avenue. Would you like to hear the answer? Because I feel like we could deliberate this. Yeah, I'm not going to guess it. Okay. So at 8.28pm, just after Messi dinked that ball over Manuel Amunia, Matt Howarth... At Matty Magpie tweeted, Stop it, Messi! That was the first ever Stop It Messi. And, and, and it's just gathered pace ever since then. I feel like now, any time you hear a, a, an 
every time you see an incredible clip of, of someone doing something amazing, the discourse now is stop it, filth, absolutely disgusting. It's incredible the way we describe in really good football this way. I am... Um, you know, in late sort of more recent times, uh, all I all I can see is chat about defenders being sent for hot dogs. That man has a family. It's such a strange way of talking about football because none of these things seem particularly uh, positive sentiments, Harry. Am, am I being really old here? Am I, am I getting hoodwinked by the bad actually means good? Phenomenal. Um, I think, I How think old do just... I sound here? No comment. Harry's sponsors football cliches, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. As a listener of Football Clichés, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash football cliches right now. That's harrys.com forward slash football cliches. One turn of phrase, Jack, which I feel like has faded from view in recent years, is I feel like when I'm presented with a, with a astounding statistic these days, I feel like I'm not invited to let it sink in for a moment anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd literally just written down that in my notes. Let that sink in. <laughs> Um, when was the, the last time you were urged to let something sink in for the moment? It just feels like it's very 2016. Yeah, I was going to say 2018 World Cup, probably. Right. Uh, I, do think, I do think with these things, there's kind of two slightly different things going on. One is memes, which I think are generally fine and quite entertaining. Like the kind of, and I suppose just let that sink in or that's the tweet or even, or like tweets that start, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> those, those are memes and they're okay. But then there's also like ways that people tweet about football which they would never normally, which you would never normally say or write, but which do not reach the standard of a meme. And there's quite a lot of this, particularly, <laughs> particularly in like accounts that tweet tweet a lot of goals or a lot of players. And give me an example here. I, I, I want to so hear the, what the threshold is here. The classic one, and this is, and this has actually become a meme unintentionally. And look, I really like the people behind this account, so I don't want to. I, that's all right. Wanna, it was the I think it was Rossi boy on a hattie and the Razzlers running rings, <laughs> which when England beat Montenegro in 2019. Um, but there's there's a lot of this kind of I don't know how best to put it. Like, so someone in a tweet which I actually can't find diagnosed it really well the other day. If I find the tweet, I'll come back to it later. But he said there's a lot of like people just write like core. What a blimming footballer he was. Are you, are you he, saying like, it's tweets that are sort of overly conversational, sort of misdirected kind of approximations of how people might actually yeah, say it out loud? That is exactly it, but, they, but they go so far beyond conversational as to, as to look ridiculous. And there's so many, you know, I'm not going to list the people who annoy me on Twitter here because you told me not to, but yes. there are so many people who tweet about football like this in this this kind of weird cod language. And I just think, like, what on earth you get? What on earth you try? Before we get too mean-spirited, there is a there's a, a sphere of football Twitter, Harriet, which I feel like is immune from this evolution. It, it, it has steadfastly refused to kind of move on in the way it talks, talks about football, which is footballers tweeting. It's an incredibly immobile and, and utterly kind of 
vacuous by its very nature, um, the way that footballers tweet. Or, or I, you know, I should make clear, this is probably how their agencies tweet for them. I'm under no illusions yeah. here. Uh, that's probably why they're all so uniform. But um, what function is this really serving to sort of post a Getty image of yourself at training and saying hard at work or something like that with a sort of strong arm emoji? They could probably do better than this, couldn't they? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and however much I love a social plan and a spreadsheet, as you well know, yeah. Mm. I just don't think that people should have them for their accounts. I just don't. And it, it's, it kind of strikes me as that's what it is. Somebody saying, oh, we need to tweet. It. Oh, it's it's training today. That's that's an easy win for us. Just tweet out a picture of of this player pumping some iron and that'll get... It, it <laughs> will always it will always get decent kind of engagement in terms of yeah. it will get some retweets, it will get the likes. And it's it's not gonna it's not controversial it's not gonna stir up anything it's negative just keeping in that up appearances, way so isn't it it is yeah and i think it's it's basically for the agency who's managing that whichever account unnamed account uh, to get the numbers in it's the vanity metrics i think i've mentioned that phrase to you before yes of, um of of getting those those numbers through the door when actually you will 100 percent get better engagement if a player is managing their own account. And I think, I mean, I don't know the ratio of which Marcus Rashford manages his own account. Uh, I imagine mm-hmm. there is some some sort of uh, agent guidance in the background there as well. But you can see that it's 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 with him, it's definitely with his input. And however much he does, he will tweet from that account. You can, you can tell. The flip side of this, Jack, is that is it really in their interests to feel compelled to kind of impart their personality on social media? Uh, it's probably be counterproductive in the end. They don't really need to, do they? No, I don't think they do need to. I agree with Harriet. I prefer the ones where footballers are tweeting. I mean, they're clearly tweeting themselves. Like there are some, you know, you always you can always tell with some players because they'll tweet things like, "Why is the traffic so bad on the M4?" But I do. <laughs> uh, I, I, there is something, equally there is something kind of like soothing about the players, like the the, the top top players in the tweet and the tweets that are obviously not theirs. Like so, mm. the the best one for me, and obviously I'm slightly biased here, is Sergio Aguero, mm-hmm. who will um, let me just read out a recent tweet of his. This is very typical. We all, so the first half is always in Spanish, and then two yep. dashes, and then the second half is in English. We all missed footy, right? It's fantastic to get back with a win <laughs> and the greatest thrills. Yeah, it is it's that sort of jarring, jarring disconnect. But at the same time, maybe the, all, all that kind of sea of mundanity kind of makes the, the true characters stand out, Harriet, because you get the odd kind of mid-ranking footballer who isn't who isn't necessarily known for his uh, footballing ability. In, in a, in a uh, you talk about a, a mid-ranking footballer who who isn't known uh, in the kind of top level for his footballing ability, but uh, he'll stand out just for his you know, sheer honesty and, and kind of low-key character on Twitter. So maybe it's kind of, it, it suits that kind of level of footballer where there isn't as much at stake commercially. So they can just be themselves because they're not actually, you know, unless they say something horribly offensive, they haven't really got anything at stake. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, definitely. And I think, I mean, the reason we're seeing kind of swathes of mundane tweets and posts and things is because footballers back in, you know, 10 years ago were able to set up their their Twitter accounts and just kind of, go with it it was never really seen as a as a risk necessarily straight away i think yeah. fergie was never obviously keen on rio voicing his opinions on on social media and there was a club-wide blackout on on social media they didn't join 
Twitter until Man United didn't join Twitter oh, until yes, 2013. Course, yeah. But you know, I mean, Wayne Rooney, one of his first tweets, "Hi Rio, do you want picking up in the morning, pal?" Uh, when he <laughs> when Timeless. he didn't really understand. Yeah, I mean, when he didn't really understand what the hell was going on, and obviously, like later on, you can see that his his tone of tweeting has changed significantly, and he uses his platforms for for other things, and that was kind of always going to happen for the high profile players because social media is you know a way to communicate with audiences and it has kind of been a way for this whole new football fandom to be more about the play the individual players than clubs so with younger people they're they're Wayne Rooney fans Lionel, uh, Lionel Messi fans Ronaldo fans they're not necessarily Messi fans because they they're Barcelona fans um, and that yeah. is probably quite a lot to do with the accessibility that social media gives everyone good and bad uh, to these these footballers. I'm comforted by the fact that one of Wayne Rooney's kind of cultural contributions to wider society is is this concept of n- needing to be picked up in the morning which is uh, which is just so translatable to so many circumstances. Um I wish it had caught on, caught on even more. Moving from cl- to, from players to clubs. I feel like um Clubs tweeting is kind of fraught with even more danger. I feel like there's even more people you could potentially disappoint with a kind of mid-game tweet. Harry, I feel like a week doesn't go by where a one lower league club doesn't tweet the word shit instead of shot during a game. But one of one of the, the kind of standouts of these potentially accidental typos is Hales Owen Town in 2016 said, uh, 54 minutes, nil-nil, Delaney shoots wife after Anderson feeds him the ball. <laughs> Wow, brilliant. I feel like that does look very accidental. D and F are next to each other on the keyboard. That is the constant fear when you're trying to do in-game live tweeting that you're going to make some horrendous typo like that. Shit is Shot and shit is obviously the, the one that happens quite a lot. When you've hit send as well and then you're like, oh, the speed with which you need to then read that and delete it, that... That period of time in your life when that happens is like one of the most intense periods of your life ever when you need to get that gone. And hopefully before pressure. you get screenshots. Yeah, the screenshots that will come in, um, people replying and correcting you is, you know, I, I, whenever I have done that previously at previous jobs, not in this one, thankfully, you always get the screenshots and the people correcting you. And it's actually the, wor- the, the worst ones are the people correcting you as if you didn't know you'd made that mistake. So obviously with shit and shot, obviously. <laughs> it's good for engagement though, because no one's going to reply quicker than when, when they can correct an official brand account on its grammar or spelling, surely. So that is ways, very it, true. In some ways it might be a good strategy. A bit like players, Jack, it, it's it's nice to see glimmers of um, of personality come through on these fairly kind of bland commercial operations. Um, I'm ad- I admire Liverpool and Man City in particular for simply refusing to delete some of their early tweets, you know, sort of 2009 era, where the whole thing was just very innocent and no one really knew what it was going to go into. Liverpool's tweet of simply lol stands to this day from 2009, whereas Man City's was even even a little bit more chaotic than that. One mid-game tweet simply says, Ned came on for Toure and Liverpool have just scored from a set piece. Skirtle, or however you spell it, nipped in front of Addy. It just remains on their official account. It's wonderful stuff. It's such a different era. Also, I think it speaks to like how back at the start of Twitter, people... I think a lot of people didn't realise how public it was, how permanent it was, how serious it was. And, you know, people and those kind of like now everybody has very clear ideas about what does and doesn't belong on Twitter, what is and isn't private or public about it and and your own voice. But back then there was no such attachment to any of those things. And it's it is very funny to see that stuff from the past 
kind of dredged back up into the light of day. Man City have got another one where it says, it's Hamburg's club badge, the oddest in the world. Oh, Looks oh, like yes. a reject, reject Umbro logo. That's not an official website opinion, by the way, Pete. Oh, Pete at the end. That's a nice touch. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, that used to, that would obviously have been a thing. Uh, that's from April 2009, where anyone who'd kind of been given the social media keys would sign off a, a tweet like that or a post like that. And uh, I, I think that's a, a lovely little throwback is that people used to assign and basically out themselves uh, on these on these accounts. Yeah, you only ever see, you only ever see little sign-offs in the tweets from sort of beleaguered customer service accounts now. You don't get it from uh, official football club accounts, which is kind of nice. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. As, as much as, as the use of Twitter has, has moved firmly into the mainstream, and I, and I think generally speaking, when it, when it comes to football action, the two things dovetail quite well. I think the platform suits real-time coverage of football. But what I'm troubled by, Jack, is that I feel like the reporting of Twitter and things that go on on Twitter is, is, remains slightly awkward. For example, if, if a player has liked a tweet that may suggest a certain, he might be moving to a different club or he's declared his allegiance for something slightly dodgy, um, you, you, you'll see in the news story that the word liked will appear in, in, in kind of inverted commas. I, sp- I still feel like we haven't quite embraced the idea that someone might express an opinion on Twitter. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we've moved past the stage of, like, took to Twitter, <laughs> uh, which was always, you know, so we were talking beforehand about the famous Darren Bent, um, do I want to go to Hull City? No. Do I want to go Stoke? No. Do I want to go Sunderland? Yes. Uh, which was back in, I think, 2012-ish, would would certainly have been in the era of took to Twitter. Yes. Whereas, in, whereas now people don't say took to Twitter because, you know, people are on Twitter all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> It's not like something separate that you do outside of your normal day-to-day activities. I do think there's... But the, the issue of kind of tweet liking or like following is slightly different in the sense that I don't think that is... Like, I don't think that is a gen... I think if a player tweets something, that's a story. If a player likes a tweet, I think, you know, there's a million and one reasons you could like a tweet or you could follow someone. Like, I, you know, I couldn't necessarily... I wouldn't necessarily want to see all the people I follow and likes I likes that I dole out, you know, it turned into a news story. So I think it's a slight, I think there's kind of two slightly different processes at play there. But it, and it still, it just still feels genuinely quite embarrassing to even be noticing that, let alone reporting on it. I, I always enjoy Harriet. Um, every now and then you'll hear kind of all the Premier League managers in their Friday press conferences are, are asked about a sort of a hot topic or something. And invariably that will that will uh, include social media or something that's happened on social media and so you're just getting loads of sort of 50 something um blokes talking about social media in the kind of loosest daddish kind of terms uh i obviously i have steve bruce in my head here when he says oh social social media that's and i, I certainly don't use it on uh 
Well, I don't, I don't really get it, to be honest. Um, does that irritate you a little bit? You know, it feels like people should accept its place in the world. It's it's a useful tool in many respects. Um, should we sneer at it like football managers often do? Never really thought about it that way. Very good Steve Bruce impression, by the way. I was waiting yeah, it's getting better every week. The, Thanks. Yeah, I was wait, waiting for you to crack out the uh, house of bacon, did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've really considered the fact that the, the managers are obviously not really that keen on it. A few managers uh, have... Like Carlos Carvajal uh, is on Twitter, and he he is has been quite quite good at get kind of getting stuck into it. I think there's more appreciation of the fact that it's a part of players' lives now, and also just kind of part of wider society. I can understand to an extent, Jack, why why sort of footballers from the 80s and early 90s might be rather reticent to embrace social media, and that's absolutely fine. But the ones that do, we tend to get rather mixed results for every. Every Neville Southall, there's a there's a Peter Shilton. For every Peter Reid, there seems to be a, a Matt Letitia. And for every tweet that they do, your your admiration for them, your pure innocent admiration of them for Match of the Day from the 1990s kind of just erodes down to zero. That's certainly true. I mean, I think that there's plenty. Mark Lawrence, I think, is quite funny. Uh, Rodney Marsh, maybe yeah. not so much. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, but then I think that's just, that's just the, the nature of, former sports stars I think really it's that you don't really you're, you're often better off not knowing about them any more than you already do there's only there's only so, so Ian Wright for example who's an amazing player and now through his media career is kind of loved as being an amazing guy as well for for so many reasons is ultimately the exception rather than the rule I think with most with a lot of former players you are but safer off just your happy memories than by than you are like reading all of their tweets about things which are often terrible before the point at which um their illusion of untouchableness kind of erodes i always enjoy the fact that without fail every single footballer from the 1980s will join twitter with the words finally join twitter to see what all the fuss is about almost without fail joe tyler leaves us with a question to ponder at the end harriet what's the dullest content on a slow day hashtag on this day or hashtag happy birthday I'm inclined to go with on this day. It gives you more to play with. I think I think it's on this day because obviously you can you can have some absolute belters for on this day, but when it's been shoehorned in for you know a run of the mill two one win against Brighton that nobody remembers, then I think it's yeah it, you've got to know know your time and your place for on this day. Happy birthday! I feel like it should be a roundish number, like it should be there like fifty fifth or sixtieth. I feel like Dennis Bergkamp turns fifty three every single day, and <laughs> someone will tweet that golf against Argentina out. Uh, maybe I just spend too much time on Twitter. Uh, that's probably something we could all say, I imagine. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me, Harry. It's been a pleasure. As it turned out, your internet on the Isle of Wight was the only one that survived the recording of this, of this episode. So kudos to you on your tax haven. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot, Jack. You made it in the end. Cheers. Thank you. See you next week.